So the Sunday after Christmas, some of us might look back at this week and, you know, we say, you know what, Christmas is over, let's move on. But those of you who know me well enough know that one of my favorite things to do around the Christmas season is to linger for a moment at the manger. We've done series of Christmas messages focused around the manger. And this morning, if you'll indulge me one more Sunday, I'd love to linger at the manger for just one more Sunday. And here's why. A couple weeks ago, I had a dream. And in this dream, there was a group of teenagers sitting in a circle. And they're talking about all kinds of stuff. And they're kind of arguing a little bit. And in the middle of all this, this young teenage girl shouts, What difference does it make? Now, how many of you have heard a teenager say that before? What difference does it make? So immediately after that, I woke up. And as I'm lying there in bed in the darkness of my bedroom, that, that question kept resonating in my head. What difference does it make? What difference does it make? And I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, what difference does it make? So we celebrate Christmas. So Jesus came and he was born in a manger. What difference does it make? Well, this morning, I'd like to look at some people in Scripture and ask that question. What difference does it make? What difference did it make? There's all kinds of scriptures that we could go down through, all kinds of stories that we could look at. But I've picked three that we're going to look at. And then we're going to hear three more stories, but I'm not going to tell you what they are. So if we look at Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Mary Magdalene. This woman, at the moment that she had met Jesus, was possessed by seven demons. Can you imagine what her life was like prior to meeting Jesus? I mean, I can't imagine that. It would have to be constant torment. She was, she was a woman who didn't have any God in her life whatsoever at the point of meeting Jesus. But then she met Jesus. She was delivered from those demons. She became a follower of Jesus. She turned her back on her sinful life and the ways that she was living when she met Jesus. And here she is, along with a small group of women supporting his ministry, traveling with them. I'm going to say they're probably ministering to people. I mean, there's, there's lots of stories about what the women were doing here as they were with, with Jesus. And so when I look at the manger and I look at the life of Mary... And I asked the question, what difference did it make? Well, look at this in John chapter 20, verses 15 through 17. This is profound. This is Jesus at the 
at the tomb after Jesus had been crucified and he rose uh, on Sunday morning, Mary went to the tomb and she's here and she has another encounter with Jesus. And he says, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will go get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Why is this so important? I love this, this exchange between Mary and Jesus because here we see, look at what he says. I am ascending to who? My father and who? Your father. Do you see the transition from Mary totally godless and, and rudderless in her life, encounter with Jesus, and now Jesus is saying, I'm going to my father, who also happens to be your father. Mary becomes the first human being who God says, or who Jesus said, you are a son or a daughter of the Most High God. You guys hear me say that all the time. I'll look at you and say, look, you're a daughter of the Most High God. You're a beloved son of the Most High God. Here's the first time. Mary. What difference did the manger make in Mary's life? Think about the changes that happened. Let's go on to another one. John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Nicodemus, he was a Pharisee. He was a religious ruler. Nicodemus knew all about God. He was raised in the temple. He was, he was taught all of the Jewish ways. He knew every chapter and verse there was to know. Nicodemus knew all about God. And here it shows that he might have even been a little ashamed to go see Jesus because of his curiosity, because he came at night. Nicodemus knew all about God. New chapter and verse. And once again, when I look at the manger and I look at the life of Nicodemus, I say, what difference did it make? After his encounter with Jesus, we see evidence of a monumental change in Nicodemus' life. Look at this verse, John 19, 38 and 39. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. This was immediately after the crucifixion. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leader. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by who? Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Here's Nicodemus. Think he's ashamed anymore? Huh? This is broad daylight. And he's coming to claim the body of Jesus. And not only that, but he brings with him all the oils needed to prepare Jesus' body. And it says 75 pounds. This would have been a huge amount of money to buy all of these oils. Not only was Nicodemus' life changed, but he was willing to be seen and identified with the follower of Jesus. And he was also willing to sacrifice greatly for Jesus. Give us his time and his resources. So we look at the manger and apply it to Nicodemus. What difference did it make? 
he went from knowing chapter and verse to knowing the author of chapter and verse. A real personal relationship with that God he had been reading about and studying about. One more example. Luke chapter 1, verses 13 through 17. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn their hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. John the Baptist promised to Zechariah and Elizabeth. These were godly parents. These were, these were parents that, that raised John the Baptist up in godly ways. They raised him to know a relationship with God. All of John the Baptist's life as he was growing up, he learned and knew a relationship with a living God. And then we see this in Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in, in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and ate locust and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You see, when the time came, John the Baptist, who, has been, who had been raised with a relationship with God, when the time came, he devoted his life and became a great voice for God. And he was a humble servant pointing people to Jesus. Sometimes answering the, the question, what difference does it make with someone like John the Baptist can seem a little harder. There's no dramatic life event that changes the trajectory of their life. But there's something incredibly important for us to see. In Matthew 11, Jesus had something really profound to say about John the Baptist. Look at this. As John's disciples were leaving. So some of John the Baptist's disciples had come to Jesus. And they, had say, they said to Jesus, are you him? Are you the one? We, I mean, we think you're the Messiah, are you? We need to know. So Jesus assured them. And as they were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John the Baptist. He said, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Listen to this. Listen to this. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. That's Jesus saying that. Wouldn't you love Jesus to say that about you? I mean, that's an honor. 
Jesus is saying, out of all the men that's ever been born, there is none greater than John the Baptist. What an honor. What difference, what difference did the manger make in John's life? Be honored as a faithful servant by Jesus. So there are many stories of people who have encountered Jesus, transformed lives. The woman at the well, the disciples, Zacchaeus, the despised tax collector, the woman caught in adultery, the lepers, the paralytic man lowered down through a roof by his friends who was healed, the dying thief on a cross next to Jesus. I could go on and on, story after story. People in the Bible, if they were here today and took a look at the manger and I asked them the question, what difference does it make? excuse me, what difference does it make? They would have a story to tell. Now, you guys know how I love testimonies, don't you? And you've heard me time after time sharing my personal belief in the power of a testimony. But I can't actually get one of these characters to come and join us today. It'd be kind of neat. Have old Zacchaeus sit up here and Say, hey, Zach, buddy, what difference did the manger mean in your life? So instead, I have a couple springers who are going to come. And I'm going to ask some questions. They're going to share a little bit of their life story. People who are right here amongst us. You see them every Sunday. So we're going to start out with Bobby. Bobby's going to come. How many of you have ever heard Bobby's full testimony? What is anybody in the room? Okay, so I've encouraged you. If you want to hear a testimony, you need to talk to Bobby. I'm encouraging you again. Do you want to sit, stand? You'll stand, okay. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to just kind of get them started, and that's how we're going to do it. So Bobby... Tell me uh, a little history of your life. Tell me a little bit of what it was like um, before you met Jesus. Uh, Yeah, just tell me a little bit of your background. Uh, uh, I grew up with a single mom, um, poor, really not religious, um, forced religion on me a little bit here and there just to get rid of me for a couple hours. Um, Yeah. I really didn't like church growing up. Um, really didn't do do the church thing. Started getting in trouble as a teenager, in and out of juvenile placements, foster homes, detention centers, and uh, then in 1992, uh, stole a couple cars, breaking in car lots, joyriding, and uh, got a pretty big long sentence for it. Uh, two years, 10 months to 42, plus 17, life on the installment plan. Um, spent about 19 years of my past 26 years, you know, being in the system, in, because every time I got out, I wanted to run like a dog, you know, hang out with my old friends, party, drinking, drugging, and, and uh, it cost me 19 years of my life. You know, catch me when you catch me deal. Um, And uh, I'm just glad I don't have to live that way anymore. So tell us why 
you don't have to live that way anymore. What happened? Um, let's see here. <laughs> Back in, I guess, 2009, before she was my wife, I met my wife. Back in 2008, and she was religious, and me, not so religious. And uh, she tried to preach to me a little bit here and there. And I used to tell her to save it for Sunday. She used to come up, up upstate to SCI Dallas to visit me every other weekend just to read the Bible to me and read me Bible verses. And she cared, obviously, enough that she invested her time and her money into me, thinking and hoping I could change. And uh, everybody's capable of change. Um, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. That's the reality. Obviously, I drank. <laughs> um, but when I first came home, she still preached to me. And, you know, I was still a little hesitant, you know, because growing up, I seen... I called them hypocrites, judgmental people. That's between them and God, if they judge, if that's the way you feel. I learned that. I had to learn that. First thing I had to learn was forgiveness. Um, forgiveness of myself, my own actions, and to forgive other people as well. Um, I grew up, you know, holding grudges. And, uh, you know, along with prison life as well, that's not fun. That's not easy. Survival of the fittest, you know. So I, I, I know violence as well, you know, but it, it, it was hard, you know. I mean, that was the first thing I had to learn is forgiveness. You know, it says, I think it's, what is it, Matthew or Mark or something like that, that you can cast mountains into the sea if you believe it. You got to believe it in your heart. And it will happen. There's mountains represent obstacles in your life. Um, whatever struggles you're going through. Um, I struggled for my first two years. I was out of prison finding a job, a decent paying job, because it's hard to make it on part-time, minimum wage. And uh, finally I got lucky, and now I drive truck for a living at a decent pay. Um, I thought about many times about just stealing the eyes out of somebody's head if I had to, to survive and go back to jail. You become institutionalized. You don't you have three hots in a cot. Ain't got to worry about rent, electric, no bills. What more do you want, you know? And, uh, of course, my wife didn't give up on me. And, uh, of course, I went into church and uh, I kind of like church, you know. I strayed away from church when I first started driving truck, and I got sick with COPD, emphysema, from being a heavy smoker. And uh, I fought to keep my job. And uh, every year I get to fight to keep my job. <laughs> um, but... I, I learned in that when I stepped back into church was about making time for God. If you don't make time, he'll make you make time. And I took that as my message. And uh, 
and now I continue coming to church. Um, I started, I'm involved in the re-entry, um, get to go out to the county jail and do case reviews, people coming out of jail and uh, share my testimonies with them. Um, it's something I enjoy doing and I no longer have to live the way I used to live. That's right. And, uh, but there's not a day that doesn't go by like on a hot day because I used to have a two case day habit that I don't think about a beer, but I know where it was, where it took me and, and where I am today. So your message to those people that you go meet at the prison is, you know what? If I changed, so can you. Yeah. Right. So you guys hear me talk about all the time that we're all special and everything. But if we look at Bobby, he's no more special than you are. He's no more special than I am. God loves you the same as he loves Bobby. God's waiting for you to say, help. And if we look at Bobby's life and we look at the manger and we ask the question, what difference does it make? Bobby will say, the difference is the world. Yeah, freedom. 19 out of 26 years in the system. Yeah. And now that's gone. That's done. That's in the past. Why? Because of the manger. So there is more to Bobby's story if you want to hear it. And I would encourage you, go to lunch with Bobby, hang out with Bobby and Roberta, and hear his story. It's pretty profound what God has done in Bobby's life. Thank you for sharing this morning, Bobby. So the next one we have who's going to share is Becky. So, Becky. Do you need me to ask questions or do you just want to share? I'll share. Very good. I was one of those who was raised in a Christian home. I always thought, I don't have an amazing testimony. I went to church every Sunday. Every time the doors were open, we went. We knew all the right things. You knew the right things to say. You knew the right things to do. You knew the right way to act. But that's a little bit of what it was like. It was about acting and being just doing all the right things, following all the rules, knowing the scripture, knowing what God had intended for you to do. And then I married my husband. I remember going as a little girl. I remember at a Bible school, and I remember going up front and going back into a little room and accepting Christ as Lord and Savior. But it was expected. It was just part of my life. It was who I was. And so I did that, and I accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. And then I married my husband, and I remember... One time, he and I, we were at a revival service. We don't have a lot of revival services anymore, mm-hmm. but we had a revival service. And I remember he and I going forward and giving our lives to serving God. We, we wanted to serve God, so we went forward and we gave our lives to serving God. But I didn't know how that looked, what that was going to mean or anything like that. Later in life, we had this pastor come. And, and you know, he started presenting something that was sort of new to me because it wasn't about all the head knowledge, but it was about a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And you see, in my life, I thought there was church and there was my social life. There was two lives. And it was at that moment when I realized, no, it was all one life. 
And it was all about him. And it was all about a personal, deep, and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ and coming to know him as my Lord in a different way. He was truly my Lord. It was everything I did, every part of my life had to be based on what he and I decided. Like he, he was my, he was leading me and it was every part of my being. And I realized at that moment, it was about a personal, it wasn't my mom and dad's religion. It wasn't about my preacher's religion, but it was about my relationship with Jesus Christ. And that took on a whole different meaning for me because you see, when I married Don, Don lived in Zimbabwe. He was a missionary kid. He grew up in Zimbabwe and he had this amazing heart to go back and live in Africa. I did not have a heart to go back and live in Africa. (laughs) I had nothing to go back and live in Africa. So he took me to visit one time, and I went, and I'm like, this is great. I love it. You know, this is wonderful. If I could take my family and my church and my friends and my job and everything, I could live in Africa. But I couldn't take all those with me. And one day, I remember very specifically, and this is the part about having that intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. I remember very specifically standing in my kitchen in Mechanicsburg. I remember it. And all of a sudden, God gave me this peace about going and living in Africa. And what was so amazing about it was I wasn't asking. (laughs) I didn't want a piece about going and living in Africa. I really didn't. And he came home from work, and I said to him, I said, we can go to Africa now. And he's, what? Well, you know, what's wrong with you? (laughs) And I said, but we have to go as missionaries. And you see, Don just wanted to go live in Africa. He wanted to go live there and work on a farm or be a farmer or do something like that. And I said, no, we have to go as missionaries. And to make a really long story short, we did. We went to Zimbabwe, and we were there for three years as missionaries. And I came home from that, and I thought, you know, okay, I gave Don three years of in Africa. Now I can live at home. Wow, was I mistaken. It's all about surrender. God said it wasn't Don you needed to give the three years to. It was me. And so in his wonderful sense of humor, he sent me back to Zimbabwe for another four years. And then another four years. But you see, it was all about surrender. And that's the part that God has taught me as I've lived closer and closer to him and have learned to know the heart of God. There's many stories I could stand here and I could tell you. You know, when you live close to the heart of God, that means being obedient to what he asks you to do. And one time, I'll just share this. And one time I was at a yard sale. And there was this lady, and she was telling me her story of they were selling because they had to move. They had moved out this way so that her children could be near their father and that that they could have a relationship with their dad. And that wasn't happening, so they decided that they were going to move back to where they came from. And God was saying, you need to pray for her. So, you know, I was like, I'm going to be praying for you. And God goes, no, (laughs) you need to pray for her. And it's one of those moments where, again, you, you hear the voice of God, and that's what it is all about, living close to him. And I remember saying, can I pray with you? And she's like, yeah. And I stood there at a yard sale praying for a woman I didn't know. And whenever I stopped praying, I looked at her, and tears were running down her eyes, her face. And you see, that's what's so cool about living close to the heart of God and knowing him intimately. It's being able to hear his voice, and it's being able to be obedient Do I have it all together? No. (laughs) Do I still miss it sometimes? Yes. But even now, I continue to learn surrender. I continue to learn to live closer to the heart of God. And as we were singing that song this morning, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. That's my cry all the time because I can never, 
there's never a time when I don't need him. And that's what that intimate relationship was all about. It was coming to that point where I needed to learn that I needed him every hour, every minute, every part of my life. Thank you. So you see the transition that happened from knowing chapter and verse to knowing the author of the chapter and verse. What a difference in her life. So our last testimony is going to be Jillian. I do have to confess, Steve asked me earlier this week if I would share, and I prayed about it, and I said yes, and I asked the Holy Spirit to put on my heart what I was to share, and he didn't remind me until this morning. So I am trusting that whatever I am to share, he he has planned. So It's going to be good then. <laughs> That's how it works, man. Um, I, like Becky, grew up in a, in a Christian family. Um, I went to a Christian school, and... It is easy to fall into that knowing all of the, all the rules and doing all the right things. And I can't honestly say there's not times of my life where I lived like that. But I did have very much modeled for me living out a relationship with the Lord. My mom was very um, Holy Spirit-led. My grandparents were very Holy Spirit-led. And so I had that um, modeled for me. So as parents, I really encourage you to live that out in front of your kids and make sure they're very involved in that part of your life. My first salvation experience, uh, I use that loosely, I was four and my cousin had, who was a few, few, few years older than me, had come to know the Lord and she thought it was her job to save everyone. <laughs> so I can still picture it. So it had an impact on my life, but we were sitting in my backyard and she told me all about hell and how awful it is. And as a four-year-old, I'm very, very scared at this point. And she says, do you want to go there? And I said, no. (laughs) So she led me through a salvation prayer. And um, obviously, there was no real big change in my life as a four-year-old. But at 10, I was at camp. And, um, you know, the the speaker that week was talking about relationship with Christ and, and what that looks like. And so I felt the need to make a decision to follow the Lord, not out of fear, but out of desire to have a relationship with him. And then when I was in ninth grade, um, like I said, I went to a Christian school and we had spiritual emphasis week each year. And we had a speaker who really talked about giving your whole life to the Lord. You know, it's not just part of your life. And so up to that point, I hadn't really, you know, I was following the Lord and it was important to me, but I think that was the moment where I, I was all in. And that doesn't mean that your life looks perfect all the time because I've made lots and lots of mistakes throughout my life and I'm still growing in my relationship with the Lord. It's an ongoing daily thing. And he continues to reveal parts of me that are ugly and shouldn't be there. And he peels away those parts. Um, He continues to reveal new parts of himself to me that I grow in my relationship with him and learn more about him each and every day. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a continual thing. Even when you walk with the Lord for your whole life, you learn to know more parts about him and you continue to grow in your walk with him. And just because I've known the Lord most of my life, I am in no different place than many of you. And I have struggled in my life sometimes with feeling like I don't have a, a dramatic testimony. You know, I don't have the Bobby's that I was this before and now I'm this after 
And I've often felt like the Lord couldn't use me in the same way because I haven't walked through the same things that a lot of people have walked through. You know, Bobby can share his testimony with people coming out of prison and like, what, what can I do? Even in, um, you know, I've mentored some ladies in the past few years and I tried to talk myself out of that because I thought I couldn't identify with where they are. I couldn't identify with what they're walking through. So if you're in that place in your life, that's a lie from the enemy. So don't believe that because, um, yeah, he can use you. Even if you can't identify with what they're walking through, you can still be used by God in those areas. Thank you, Jillian. So I'd like to ask us all again this morning, after hearing those three testimonies, I would like you to just take a moment and just look at the manger. Take a moment and look at your own heart for a moment. I mean, what better day than the last day of the year to do a little reflection? You guys hear me say this all the time. Where are the brightest lights in your house? In the bathroom, around the vanity mirror. Why? Because you want to see the imperfections. If you're putting your makeup on, you want to see the imperfections. If you're shaving, you want to see the whiskers you need to cut off. There's times where we've got to stop in our lives, pause for a moment, turn on the bright lights, and look in the mirror. I'm asking you to do that this morning. And as you look at the manger, I want you to ask the question, what difference does it make? Maybe you're sitting here and you're going, you know what? Not much. I have never really had an encounter with Jesus. But I hear a story like Bobby's and I say, you know what? If an encounter with Jesus can have that impact on Bobby, why can't the same happen for me? And my answer to that's simple. It can. It can. What was available to Bobby is available to you. Some of you might be sitting here and you, you heard Becky's story and, and, and you go, you know what? My entire religious experience has been simply going through the motions. I know chapter and verse. I went to VBS when I was a kid. I went to Sunday school. I follow the rules. But you've never really had an intimate encounter, a close relationship with the living God. And you hear a story like Becky's and you say, you know what? Why can't I have that close relationship that Becky has? And my answer to that is simple. You can. What's available to Becky is available to you. Some of you might have sat here and you listened to Jillian's story and you thought of yourself. Your life's been a a journey with not any huge highs, not any deep lows, and somehow you've convinced yourself that the world doesn't need to hear your testimony. And I'm really glad that Jillian used really strong language on that. Because that is a lie. Now, more than ever, the world needs to hear what happens when your life is a journey of walking with God, relationally. The stability, the faith, the constant presence in your life, someone to turn to, someone to lean on, someone who's going to protect you, someone who's going to provide for you. Trust me, the world longs for what you have, Jillian. The world longs for what you have, Becky. 
The world longs for what you have, Bobby. Sandy used the sentence that I like to use at the end of worship. She said, we're going to rock the world this year. Sharing those testimonies is how we rock the world. Because the world is desperate for something. And we have what the world is desperate for. His name is Jesus. One more thing I'd like to add in a story like Jillian's, even a story like Becky's and Bobby's, (laughs) I'll add you all in there because it's all of us. When we have a close relationship with God, when we're walking with Him and we hear from Him, there's a tendency sometimes to coast. There's a tendency sometimes to get comfortable, to think I have enough. I'm telling you, if you're in that place, that's also a lie. I believe this morning there are some of us that need to ask God for more. More anointing. More gifting. More power. More opportunities to share our faith. When I look at the world around us, folks, I'm saying we as followers of Jesus can't afford to coast. She's referring to the verse where Jesus said, I've come to give life, comma, life to the full. You see, we can accept Jesus and get life and live on that side of the comma. But we need to get to the other side of the comma where the life is full and complete. So let's pray. Father God, thank you for these stories, these testimonies. Lord, I pray that we would have time today as we go through the activities of the day and we we celebrate New Year's Eve tonight, that we we would pause to look back for a moment. We would pause and, and take an honest evaluation of our lives before we move on to next year. Because Lord, I believe as we move into 2018, you've got big plans. And Father God, I personally want to be part of it. And I pray that that's our prayer here. Lord, where are you working and where do you want me involved? I'm yours. Let's go. Let's rock the world. Because Lord, the manger makes a huge difference in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So we're available to talk or pray if anyone wants to come as usual. Have a great New Year's.